This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Well, Jericho is probably expecting one of the two. When they don't see any kind of earthen ramp starting up, they just see him camped out there, they're probably expecting to be sieged. They're probably expecting to be starved out. Well, they can last forever. They can probably outlast the Israelites because of the harvest time, the time of the year that it is. So they were shut up. Nobody came in. Nobody went out. Verse 2, and the Lord said unto Joshua, I love this verse of Scripture. Please make a notice of this. Here's a city that's shut up. They can't get in. The people aren't coming out. There's no way in. And God says, see, I have given unto your hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. Now, folks, if I'm Joshua and I look, I'm going to think, all I see is a city that's closed up tight. God says, see, I've given it into your hand. We've got to learn to think about and see things the way God does. See, so many times think people think that operating by faith is, is walking blindly. It's not. It's walking by a better sight than with your natural eye. It's looking into things not seen and not just things that are seen. Because the things that are not seen, Paul tells us, are eternal. The things that you can see are temporary. And folks, we know for a fact the walls around Jericho were temporary. No matter how big they were, no matter how thick they were built, no matter how strong or how many enemies they'd fought, they'd stood, withstood and, and, and kept out, they were temporary. Verse 3, And you shall compass the city, all you men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days... And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat. Literally the word flat means in its place. And the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. And Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said unto them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on and compass the city and let him that is armed pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets And with the rear guard came after the ark, like priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. Verse 10. And Joshua had commanded the people. God didn't say one word about this. Here's Joshua operating on his own initiative. Why? Because he knows where these people come from. So Joshua adds something to this. He recognizes that he's got a say in this. He's got some responsibility in what's done and how it's done. He's not violating anything that God commanded him to do, but he does add to it. Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice. That would include speaking or talking. Neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, then shall you shout. Joshua knows when that day is going to be. Seven days from today. You can't talk for a week. Now, this is not just not talking while they're walking around the city. He says, no word shall come out of your mouth until I tell you. He's not coming back in the afternoon saying, okay, everybody can talk now. He realizes that the the key to this, the key to being successful and taking the city of Jericho and defeating 
the, the, uh, the enemy, the walls of the city, and so forth. He knows the key is not just what God said, but to keep the people on board with what God said. He remembers 40 years earlier, or 38 years earlier. He remembers Numbers chapter 13, where they came to this edge of the promised land once before, and the people started talking against God's promise. So what does he do? He shuts them up. Now, you cannot tell me he gets everybody in faith. He just gets everybody quiet. And folks, you need to understand something. Faith operating in the smallest measures, the tiniest, tiniest part. If it's the only thing that's said will work. What doesn't work is when it's overcome and and countermanded by words of doubt and fear and unbelief. But you can take the smallest amount of faith and and express that, say that, and then stay quiet, and it'll work. Why? Because you have what you say. You don't have what you think. You don't have what you're afraid of. You don't have what you you do anything but say. You have what you say. I'm reminded of of, uh, uh, Jairus that came to Jesus. You remember the story in Mark chapter 5? Jairus comes and says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay hands on her that she'll live and not die. Well, Jesus is on the way to Jairus' house and the woman with the issue of blood shows up. And man, she takes forever. She tells a story. Twelve years, suffered of many positions, spent all that I had, nothing better but rather grew worse. I heard about you, so I came, started saying, if I can just touch the hem of your garment, I'll be whole. While she's yet speaking, somebody comes back from Jairus' house saying, it's too late, your daughter's dead. Jesus immediately turns and says to the father, be not afraid, only believe. What does that mean? Shut up. Don't say a word. Why? Because the faith you exercised before is still working. Don't let the circumstance change what you're saying. So Joshua tells the people, you can't talk till I tell you. Now, I don't know if he told them up front it'll be for a week. Or if he just says, you can't talk till I say so and, and leaves it at that. They may be sitting around the campfire at night wondering if I'll ever be able to talk again. We don't know. But Joshua knows something. He knows that if he lets the people start talking about how big the wall is, then even though God says the city is ours, we won't take possession of it. Can you see the examples for us to follow? Verse 11, so the ark of the Lord compassed the city going about it once and then they came to the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord and seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets and the armed men went before them. But the rear guard, the rear ward came after the ark of the Lord, the priest going on blowing with trumpets. Apparently they blew the trumpets when they started to walk around the city to let the city know we're back. But after that, it was silence until the end. The second day, they compassed the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. It came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day, they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priest blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. Folks, by now, everybody's ready to say something. (laughs) 
Joshua gives instruction about the city being cursed. Don't take anything from the city. The only thing we're going to save are the precious metals for the temple of the Lord. Verse 20. So the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city. Every man straight before him and took the city. Uh, the archaeological expeditions have shown us that the wall toppled from the top down and made a ramp, made a, its own ramp for the, city, for the people going up into the city. And, and which is exactly what it says. So the people went up into the city. They climbed the ramp that God made for them by the destruction of the wall. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. Only one they saved was Rahab and her house. Because that was the agreement that they had, the two spies had made with them. So the first two things, the first two examples we see going into the promised land. First two things is God executes judgment on the God that they serve, Baal, by, by causing Israel to cross over the Red Sea. Uh, what's the name of it? Jordan River, excuse me. Crossing over the Jordan River on dry ground. Then the very next thing is they take the biggest, most heavily fortified, most defensed city he starts off with the top he destroys the wall through faith now you know as well as i do that walking around the walls six times for six days and seven times on the seventh day and blowing trumpets and stuff like that there's nothing that's going to cause a wall to fall and somebody might say well maybe it was an earthquake well if so god timed it to coincide with the shout of the people see i wouldn't have a problem with it even being an earthquake the problem is the earthquake didn't destroy the part of Rahab's house. It saved that part of the city. So it worked just exactly the way God said it worked. I don't care if the earth shook. I don't care if the heavens shook. I don't care if a wind knocked it over. I don't care if an angel pushed it over. I don't care how it happened. The fact is it's miraculous because God said it's going to happen beforehand. Man thinks he's so smart. Well, you predict an earthquake then. Doesn't happen, right? Now, turn with me over to the next one. There's four of these. Well, wait a minute. Before we go there, I need to show you something in chapter 7. <clears throat> the next one, the next two are over in Joshua chapter 10. We can cover those pretty quickly. But I want you to see something in Joshua chapter 7. <clears throat> God instructs Israel through Joshua not to touch or take any of the spoils of the city. This is the one city that represents the tithe to God. The only thing that's saved is the precious metals for the, for the temple. So God says, don't take anything. It's a city full of stuff. It's one of the biggest cities, if not the biggest city in, in uh, all of Canaan. Would have been great to collect stuff from. But he says, no, this one belongs to the Lord. Burn it like they burned the sacrifice, offered this burnt offering. Burn this because it's a type of the tithe. It's a type of what belongs to God as, uh, a res as the result of him bringing the promised land into your, into your possession. But one guy takes some of the stuff and hides it and, and, uh, and so forth so that the next battle they go out uh, against the, the enemies of Israel, they lose. And uh, or begin to lose, they lose 36 men. And Joshua, verse 6, chapter 7, verse 6, here's Joshua's response. Now, I think this is instructive for us as far as the promised land operation is concerned. Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. And the elders of Israel, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, please notice Joshua's response to this. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us unto the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we have been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. 
He sounds like the same unbelieving people that he's been dealing with for 40 years. Notice how Joshua, the man who God said, here's how to be prosperous and have good success. It's all about the word of God. It's all about meditating the word, being a doer of the word. Anytime, therefore, that there's failure, you should know that the problem is not with God. The problem is not acting on the word. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, we are healed. Join us Easter Sunday at Foothill Family Church as Pastor Mike Webb will bring a message about the hope that Jesus can bring. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. We'll have two services on Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. But Joshua, at the first hint of, of defeat, Joshua falls on his face and said, Oh, God, why did we even cross the Jordan River? Why did we even cross the Jordan River? Now, here's exactly what a lot of people do. If crossing the Red Sea was a type of salvation, what is the crossing of the Red Sea a type of? Or what's crossing the Jordan River a type of? It's a type of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because, folks, that is the highway. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is the highway for the blessings of God. It's a highway for the blessings of the believer. It's a highway, the path to everything Jesus purchased for us on the cross. And people will get on this side of the Jordan River, the promised land side of the Jordan River, and run into an obstacle, and they say, oh, I guess God turned against me. Maybe it had been better if I hadn't even started going to that faith church. I never had this much trouble with the devil before I started trying to confess the word. You're no threat to the enemy. What's he going to bother you for? He's got you where he wants you. Here's what Joshua does. Oh, if only we'd stayed on the other side of the Jordan River. Why? What's over there? It wasn't the promised land. It wasn't what God wanted for them. But so many people are willing to give up with less. They're willing to stay in the wilderness. And I'm talking about where the baptism of the Holy Ghost is concerned. They're saved. They're going to make heaven. And they're willing to live in the wilderness. Joshua says, oh, if only we'd been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Verse 8. Oh, Lord, what shall I say? Lord, don't you know how this makes me look? Now, that's the thing to be concerned about, right? Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the lands shall hear of it and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, I feel your pain. <laughs> and the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? What are you complaining about? Now, folks, if you look at that from Joshua's standpoint, there's something he doesn't understand. The same thing that many people don't understand today, and that is what God's going to explain to him. Verse 11, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, the city of Jericho, the possessions of the city of Jericho, the spoils, and have also stolen and dissembled also, lied about it, and they have put it even among their own stuff. 
Therefore, this is why the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore except you destroy the accursed from among you. So many times people are wondering, why aren't things working for me? Why don't things work? And they want to blame God. You got a lot of the church doing that today. Well, I tried to believe in healing and it didn't work. I, I prayed and I asked God to heal me and it didn't work. So God just doesn't do that anymore. Now think about the logic behind that. My prayer didn't get answered, so God's the problem. That's exactly what God says to Joshua. Joshua, what's the key to success for you? Meditate in the word and be a doer of thereof. What's the success, the, the pathway to success for everybody? Meditate in the word and be a doer thereof. God says specifically, now you take this any way you want to. But the type that's being talked about is Jericho being the tithe. And so what happened with this one person is he took what was supposed to be separated and sanctified unto God as the tithe. And he took it for himself. And it brought destruction into his life. Into the life of all of Israel. And God very simply says, I'm out unless you fix the problem. Now, lest I heap condemnation on you or leave you here under condemnation, let me tell you that things don't work exactly the same way they did in his day. It was a do it or else. We're under the age of grace. The difference is, under the old covenant, there was pretty much instant judgment that fell. You messed up, disobeyed the word, judgment fell immediately. If not instantly, certainly immediately. Under the new covenant, the age of grace, you get by a little longer. God gives you a chance to fix things and make things right. But the same result is true. And that is the blessings of obedience are necessary to take possession of all that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. Obedience is necessary. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only deceiving your own self. So many Christians today are deceived. They're operating on one part of the word, the parts they want to receive from God on, but then they're ignoring other parts of the word and thinking that it's all going to work out together. It doesn't. We're supposed to be doers of the word in every area of our lives. Yeah, well, Pastor Mike, I'm paying my tithes and I'm giving offerings and I'm expecting God to bless me. I'm just hoping God will overlook the fact that I'm a liar. Good luck with that. He will for a while. But honesty is important too, you know. Well, I'm obeying the word of God where, where finances are concerned, but I'm uh, not treating my, my wife well. Okay, good luck with that. It's all the word, folks. What part of the word is more important than the other? Sure got quiet in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> it's a real question. What part of the word is more important than another? If it's the word of God, it's all the word of God. Isn't that true? God's word is not a buffet where you pick and choose the parts you like. And leave the rest for somebody else. It's all the word. Joshua doesn't understand that. But he learns. So God tells him get off your face. 
God had to rebuke Moses. Now he has to rebuke Joshua. Get off your face. Fix the problem. So Joshua goes to the Lord and says, okay, who's the problem? God tells him how to find out, and he finds out and does, does what needs to be done. Now turn with me over to chapter 10. We'll cover the last two real quickly. Joshua winds up fighting five kings of the Amorites. In verse 5, it names the five kings. Joshua is deceived. I guess I've got to give you a little backstory. Joshua is deceived in the preceding chapter by one of the, the cities and the, the inhabitants of the cities. They make out like they're from a long way away and they want to make a, uh, a treaty with Israel so that they are in alliance with them. Joshua doesn't consult with the Lord. He believes the, the, uh, the people that are lying to him. And instead of consulting the Lord, he winds up making a treaty with them, making an alliance with them. And this is one of the towns that, there's, that he was supposed to destroy. And so it gets him in trouble because the, these five kings of the Amorites then attack the city that's now in an alliance with Joshua. Well, he's bound by his word to defend them when they're attacked. So he goes to the Lord and asks, well, what should I do about this? I shouldn't care about them, but I've messed up. Help me out of this problem. So God says, go ahead and fight against them. He said, I'll deliver you. So it says in verse 7, so Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said unto Joshua, fear them not, for I have delivered them under your hand. Talking about the five kings and their armies. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. And Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter of Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Horon and smote them unto Azekah and unto Makeda. I guess I'm saying those right. In other words, there was a supernatural result that took place from the battle itself because God was on Israel's side. But then God does something miraculous in verse 11. And it came to pass as they fled from before Israel, talking about all the uh, enemy armies, and were in the going down to the Beth Horon, that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Azekah. Now, some translations read this as hailstones, and maybe it was hailstones. I don't know what it was, but something came down from heaven. Something came down from the sky. One of the reasons for this was because the Amorites were worshipers of the sky, and their gods were in the sky. So he cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Azekah, and they died. And there were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. So in other words, they know, the ones that are running, it's not the only ones that are, the part of the armies run and part of the armies stay and fight. So part of uh, Israel's army went to chase the ones that ran away. And that's when the hailstones come, at, come down against them. Now, here's the, the, here's, that's the third miracle of the promised land. Here's the fourth one. Verse 12, then spake Joshua to the Lord. Please notice that phrase. Then spake Joshua to the Lord. Not God told Joshua to do it. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, he's talking to God or the, what the Bible identifies as talking to God, here's what he said for all of Israel to hear. Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. It says Joshua is speaking to God, but really what he's doing is he's speaking in the ears of God, talking to the sun and the moon. Notice how the Bible talks about that. In other words, it's saying Joshua spoke to the sun and the moon, and God counted that as speaking to him. Keep that in mind. Because remember, these are types and examples for us. He said, son, son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon, which means they both must have been visible. It must have been the time of day where the sun is going down and the moon is coming up. 
Now, as I said, the Amorites were worshipped, their gods were in the sky. They worshipped the sun god and the moon god. Now you've got in this army, this battle, the five kings of the Amorites gathered together. All the Amorite people are represented by these five five enemy armies, enemies to Israel. And now their sun and their moon, their gods are being commanded by Joshua, whose God, the God of Israel, backs him up and stops them dead still. And the sun stood still and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. You might be interested to know that in most other cultures around the world, there is this same day as a part of their history or or mythology or whatever. Well, it makes sense because if God's stopping the sun and the moon, it has to affect the whole earth. I mean, it's not just stopping the sun and the moon over the battlefield but then the sun and the moon rises and falls and moon comes up and moon goes down and all that other kind of stuff everywhere else in the earth think about the laws of of the earth that had to be changed for the sun and the moon to stand still so as a result there are many other historical uh, or well they're not accepted as historical because a lot of people don't believe the stories of the bible but there are many other references legends or or whatever you want to call them in, in most of the other cultures of the earth. Now here's a verse I want you to see. Verse 14. We'll, we'll end with this. And there was no day like that before. There was no day like that before it or after it. That the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. What I want you to see is what the Bible. What Joshua says. This was a day inspired by the Holy Ghost. He said this was a day that was unlike any day before or since. When God hearkened to a man's voice. When God hearkened to a man's voice. These are types and examples for us. The Bible says we have a better covenant established upon better promises. What does that mean for us? You remember what Jesus said in John 14? Verses 13 and 14. He said, and whatsoever you shall ask. King James says ask. It's the word call for or require. It literally means speak in my name. Whatsoever you shall call for require. Speak in my name. That will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you speak anything in my name, I will do it. Joshua came up to a place, a situation where he had need of something. His need was for daylight. So he told the sun and the moon to stand still. Is that the only way God could have made light come down? No. God could have let the sun and the moon do their thing and cause light to shine down from heaven like a spotlight. But he hearkened to the voice of a man. What is this for? It's for us to understand the covenant that we have in the name of Jesus. God hearkens to the voice of a man. God hearkens to your voice. Jesus said so. If you speak anything in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What has God shown in this Old Testament example? He's the God of nature. He's bigger than any other God. He's bigger than any other enemy's defense. He'll rain down things from heaven if necessary. And he'll stop the operation of the earth, even the universe itself. Why? Also that he can make good to the covenant. Make good on the covenant that he made to Abraham. If you're Abraham's seed, if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. God's Word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God 
and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. That means if you've got the Word of God on any subject, any area, anything pertaining to anything, you've got the Word of God on it and concerning your situation, you have absolute proof that it's a reality. You may not see it yet, but it's impossible for God to break His Word. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.